You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium Games, Star Citizen, and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 11 of Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. I hope this finds everybody well. Uh, we talked like four days ago, so there's not um, a whole heck of a lot as far as my gaming experience from the last show uh, is concerned, but we do have a lot of information to cover. Um, before we do that, let's get into previously on Beyond the Verse. This, again, was four days ago on Monday for Memorial Day, and we had a phenomenal tribute show. Uh, the first half was dedicated to uh, real-life Memorial Day. We had a, a video we saw with Jocko Willink reading a very motivational, very somber message about Memorial Day. And then we transitioned into the Beyond the Verse podcast. Uh, we covered a little bit of Inside Star Citizen's Storm Warning, where we talked about the RSI links, some reactions to it, and then we went into the storm, the Tumbral Storm. I got it right the first time this this show. Um, and a little bit of reactions to that. We went into Star Citizen Live, the All Vehicles Roundtable, and the kind of Again, I'm going to repeat kind of an underwhelming um, inside star. I'm sorry, Star Citizen Live, but it was it was still good information. It was still good dialogue. It still um, talked about the developer and the artist experience that's behind the game, which, again, I will always encourage you to go and dive into, especially as a backer to a game that is an alpha. So continue doing that please um we talked a little bit about the seven race the stand seven race that was going to be happen uh, that was <laughs> that did happen on saturday uh, but then we went into the lore deep dive which was a really cool one for me we entitled it warhammer that's the name of the javelin that you can go and tour at each one of the orbital stations in this previous invictus launch week event but it was a really good, uh, it was the first time we were able to take a, an event and really explain the so what or the why behind it. Maybe add some color um, to what you were seeing in the game. Um, we did talk about a little bit of gaming experience, which I will transition into this episode uh, here in a couple of minutes with it. Uh, but for this week in Beyond the Verse, uh, we'll be talking about Jumptown 2.1 from a beginner's perspective. So how to accept the mission, how to get there, kind of the so what behind it. Uh, we'll go through uh, This Week in Star Citizen, the Galactopedia update, which is one full length article and 20 short articles. We'll zoom through that pretty fast. Uh, the roadmap update and roundup. There's some good arena commander updates uh, if you're outside of the persistent universe, the PU. 
Uh, today, we had the Inside Star Citizen, the Arena Reborn Part 1. That's exactly what I just mentioned. It's a 16 and a half minute uh, video on what to expect whenever the next patch comes out. There is a 3.19.1 patch note announcement that happened a couple hours ago that we will also get into. And then we will wrap up this show with the final lore deep dive of time capsules into the 30th century or the 2900s that'll get us into the events of Star Citizen and Squadron 42. So today I even made a a, a mental note, I'm not wearing my Squadron 42 shirt. I will be wearing my Squadron 42 shirt next week as we talk about the entire story and everything there is to know about Squadron 42. Before we really get into today's show, I I, I kind of want to um, I kind of want to show y'all the end of Storm Warning, the Inside Star Citizen from last week. Uh, it's called Storm Warning. I mentioned the Dungeons and Dragons little excerpt, and I just I just want to share it uh, for everybody to watch and everybody to listen to on podcast. Uh, I think it's just a really good icebreaker. Um, I love that Jared Huckabee and the other individuals do these kind of um, after the credits, they do these kind of excerpts that you should totally stick around and watch every single week when they happen. But without further ado, let me just screen share, go on mute, show you all the video uh, and we'll call it. Here we go. It's your call. You can make it. Don't. I believe in you. I'll step out. Roll a survival check. 14. You successfully exit the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. You're dead. I love that. (laughs) I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a short one. But that, that, that is a perfect segue into, um, into this show. So in the last couple of days, um, I did mention on the Monday, the episode 10 podcast, I did talk about the experience that me and White Fox from our organization had, uh, where I tried to come and rescue him. I tried to do the Uber loop of getting him from Area 18 to Beijing Point. Uh, and in return, I also got stuck. And so for the last maybe two days, uh, I've been unable to really get into the game and do anything. That brings me to yesterday. So servers are on fire. I end up making a tweet. Now, I want, I want to be very clear, and I do want to take a couple of seconds to explain my tweet. Um, it, it went viral relatively um, to Star Citizen. I mean, it was 2,000 impressions, 60 likes, a couple shares. Um, so relative, it, it went pretty popular. It was seen by a lot. But I took a video of what exactly was breaking at Area 18. So, and the reason for that. <laughs> the reason for that is uh, I saw a lot of emotional uh, vomit happening on social media. Oh, Area 18 sucks, the ASOP terminals suck, Uh, the whole game is horrible, how are we still in alpha 10 years later? And then you heard like the same talking points, right, from everybody. And 
I did not get a good impression of what the actual problem was um, from like an outsider's you know perspective. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to just record and show the community what exactly was broken in Area 18. So I even like in the body of my tweet, I even say like it's a love hate relationship. Like we can go, we can go to bed each night after we're done playing uh, and just pissed off at everything uh, but then well, what do we all do the next day right we all get back into the game and we all try it again right it's either insanity or it's being a star citizen backer right they're kind of the same thing so it's a love-hate relationship I didn't say anything negative but I wanted to show this video and it blew up it blew up. I, I walked by all the ASOP terminals and showed that the kiosks were not working. Uh, and again, it blew up. A lot of people, you know, responded to it. Using the DND laugh about the elevator being broken, uh, I, I think we need to continue just laughing at this game, like in a healthy way. The game is not ready. If that bothers you, Diablo 4 just came out right like harry potter came out a couple of weeks ago you're going to have boulders gate that comes out like in the next couple of months go play something else understand that this game is an alpha it's going to be an alpha for the indefinite future accept it but there's a difference between like a critical call out professional feedback uh, maybe showing what the actual issue is just for general knowledge and then just being that loud squeaky wheel on social media. Now I'm not con condemning anybody, but I think there's, there's a time and place. And right now we were just laughing at the issues. If you're laughing about the elevator issue from several months ago, we should be laughing right now. Uh, and this is why I call today's episode escape room citizen. Because that's what it is. Like a lot of responses to that tweet were, well, why don't you, why don't you hit X and then jump around and circle and do the dance emoji, and you know maybe log out and go to a different server. Well, the the point is it's broken. The point is the expected end state is not happening. That's the point. I don't care what the workaround is from the gamer side. It's broken. So we can either be mad about it and then go play Diablo Four. Or we could just laugh and have a good time. So again, I think it's a great transition having that video about the the DND, the elevator issue, straight into this. I, I think is a perfect transition. So with that being said, we mentioned a little bit about it in episode ten, but we went from Xeno Threat straight into Invictus Launch Week, straight into Jump Town 2.1. Now, what I will tell you is Jump Town is not this like massive server breaking event. In fact, most of the people I know stay clear away from it, right? Not because of the glitches, not because of any bad or or, or any negative issues. It's mainly because like People go in with A2s and bomb the crap out of everything. Um, you'll get a squadron of griefers of like full of Scorpiuses and everything else. You, you can't get close without dying. So the majority of people, I would say, stay away from this. So I don't think Jumptown 2.1 is going to be what breaks the server. I, I, I truly don't. But with that being said, let's get into what Jumptown 2.1 is 
is, uh, and we'll go through accepting the mission, the mission, how to get to the location, uh, the dates and times and everything and what to expect. So this is dedicated to those listeners and viewers that, that have never done Jump Town before. Again, with everything else, if you want to skip ahead, those those time stamps are inside of the descriptions. Feel free to skip ahead. But Jumptown 2.1, straight out of the horse's mouth. Let's go. Accepting the mission. Open the mission manager in your Moby Glass and navigate to the priority category, either under the general tab for the lawful path or personal for the unlawful. This will give you both the coordinates of the drug lab and where to sell the packages. I don't think a lot of people know that, that there's two different types of jump towns. There's the lawful and unlawful. Some people just go straight to the priority tab because that is what you initially see, like you see here in this screen. They go to the priority and they accept the mission. But there's also in the personal tab, which is usually where your unlawful uh, missions are, a lot of people don't know that. So there you go. I just uh, I just helped you. <laughs> Step two, flying to the lab. The lab rotates. I'm just going to, there you go. I summed it up. The labs will rotate from planet system to planet system. Quote, I'm going to sneeze here. <coughs> Excuse me. Quote, the drug lab will be marked on your HUD and the star map. It may be in Crusader, Microtech, or our corpse space. If you're on the lawful path, you'll be taking the drugs to the corresponding Leo stations, Port Olasar, Port Tressler, and Bijini Point, respectively, which will also be marked on your HUD. If you're on the unlawful path, you'll be traveling to Grimhex for your payout. So that kind of sucks. I mean, if you're if you're in a Art Corp and you're on the unlawful path, you got to fly your happy ass all the way to Crusader. Enjoy that 15-minute uh, flight if you don't have an upgraded jump point or jump drive. <laughs> Step three, grab the contraband. Once you arrive at the lab, your goal is to find the drug spawner inside. Pictured here. This device will pump out one box of contraband every 30 seconds. This timer doesn't start until you grab the previous box, so you'll have to hold your position against anyone else looking for the same payday if you want to maximize your earnings. Now, what I will say is, is back in the day, like last year, which was the last time I, I tried Jump Town, it was actually kind of neat. I, I arrived, there were several ships already parked and on the ground. I didn't really know that there'd be all this griefing months later, but I parked next to all the other ships and I walked into Jump Town. And it was really cool. We had somebody, uh, you know, the. I'm going to call him the unknown citizen, like a gamer that I, I don't know. I, I, it wasn't part of the org, wasn't a friend, but they were standing at this terminal that you're seeing on the screen and they were just, they were just moving product. They were moving product every 30 seconds from the dispenser to like the door, just helping everybody out, just making sure that things went smoothly. Um, and that was just a really cool like community effort. Now, I know we all want to kill them, and I know we all want to, like, you know, do the whole PvP thing. Um, but again, that was, like, my first impression of Jump Town and, and this idea of organiza organizations working together, uh, even unknown or, or, or people that aren't your friend, just getting in there and helping with the overall objective. So I thought that was a really cool first impression. But, yeah, you're going to run in here. You're going to grab an item once every 30 seconds to make it worth your time. You're going to want to do probably two or three runs. So get a ship um, that can carry 
significantly more cargo, I personally don't think you have enough time to sit with a C2 and just load it down with a shitload of contraband. Um, I would probably go with like a, a 300 series from Origin, maybe like a 325 Alpha so you can defend yourself and you can be the aggressor if needed. And you have the garage and cargo space, right? So my two cents, kind of a fun story with Jump Town. I went with my brother maybe two or three Jump Towns ago. Uh, man, we, we just got toasted. I mean, there was like a whole org just waiting there. And as we got close, they were like, oh, hey, not somebody in the org. And he just went after and, like I said, toasted us. We were, we were done in seconds. So, so there's that. Wrapping this up, the jump down schedule. Um, here are your times. So again, back on Monday, May 29th, all the way through June 5th, right? Uh, at 9 a.m. Pacific. So it's going to end uh, on June 5th or 24 hours after that June 5th time. So was that June 6th? There you go. So I hope I hope that kind of lays out the groundwork. Again, Jump Town, you heard Paul from the Astro Historian two episodes ago talk about like the neat background of the drugs being accidentally marked from the developer accidentally marked as as too lucrative to sell like it was cheap to buy um it was cheap to buy it was expensive to sell or the profit was high to sell and so that inadvertently created the first jump down and then they just went with it they were like hey this is this is a fun idea um so i think that's a really cool background story here we are again at 2.1 in the latter parts of may beginning of june i don't think it's going to break the game i think we're all going to be okay so there you go Let's get into the Galactopedia update. So on Tuesday, um, along with this week in Star Citizen's article, there was a Galactopedia update. It's one full length article, 20 short articles. Sharing my screen now uh, for those of you on YouTube. Here we go. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and go through most of this. I, I, I think in the past 10 episodes, I think I've gone through things so fast that to the podcast listener who might not be so familiar with with this game, I'm doing them a disservice. So I'm going to go ahead and go through this pretty quick. Um, I'm going to take my time on the full length article because Magda Hurston is super important. But for the other 20 short articles, I'm going to read them as fast as I can, just so you have the audio soundbite. So here we go. If y'all remember back on Mother's Day, um, if you're a follower of my socials, back on Mother's Day, I posted like a picture of Magda Hurston. It's like, uh, you know, if you're a creator of an entire planet system, or if you are, you know, a regular mom, happy Mother's Day. And so I, I find this kind of coincidental that now we're talking about Magda Hurston, a full length article has been updated. Um, I'm going to go ahead and click into it, and we're going to get into the architect of the planet, Hurston. Straight to the article, let's go. Early life. The oldest child of Chesterfield Hurston and Mariah Park Hurston, Magda was born in 2833 on Ritif, Bremen II, at a hospital near the site of Hurston Dynamics, secondary headquarters. She received her early education on Earth, Sol 3, and attended the Haymore School of Economics in Geneva for her undergraduate and graduate degrees, where she attained a Master of Science in Organizational and Social Psychology. Her dissertation, Live Work and Play, Employee, Productivity and Controlled Environments, 
was selected as one of the winners of the best dissertation prize for the 2854-2855 academic year. After a year-long internship at the University of Percy Analytical Research and Qualification on Percy Redder II, she joined the family business in 2856, starting as an associate operations analyst. Hurston Dynamics. Magda moved upward through the ranks despite several clashes with distant relatives in higher positions, eventually becoming chief operations officer in 2863. During this period, she made multiple cost-saving operational changes in Hurston Dynamics, such as utilizing nutritional supplements instead of fresh ingredients to reduce the cost of employee meals and opting for in-house production of worker protective equipment in place of renewing expensive outsourcing contracts. In 2865, she spearheaded her largest project, the purchase of governing interest uh, and settlement rights for the naturally habitable planet Stanton One and its four moons from the UEE. It was under her advice that the then-CEO Chesterfield Hurston agreed to the unprecedented expense. The changes they could make to the weapon manufacturing process, out from under the strict laws of the UEE, would save the company trillions. Chesterfield approved, and the planet Hurston was officially established. While Hurston Dynamics Mining Division broke ground on antimatter, uh, precursor mines on the surface of Hurston, Magna supervised the design and construction of the first residential buildings that would later form the heart of the workers' district. She took a brief break in 2867 after the birth of her son Gavin. When Hurston's first antimatter, refinery plant was completed in 2872 and workers began to arrive, the need for a much larger settlement became apparent. Magna spent five years identifying areas to cut costs so that the new construction could be built quickly and at a low price. The city of Lorville was officially founded in 2877. In 2883, halfway through the erection of the central tower, Hurston Dynamics' new headquarters, Chesterfield died after a short battle with pancreatic cancer. Excuse me. <coughs> Magda succeeded him as CEO. Under her leadership, daily work hours were extended for those under the life labor contract, and a weekly task completion competition to shorten workday minutes was introduced. These changes improved overall efficiency by 3%. She oversaw the completion of Central in 2890, as well as wide expansion of the company's antimatter mining, processing, and weapons construction. The contract she signed to provide the UEE military and antimatter warheads netted record profits. She continued her father's strip mining operations, exempt from the UEE's anti-pollution laws thanks to the planet's independent status allowing speedy and cheap extraction of Hurston's natural resources. She retired as CEO in 2915 and was succeeded by her son Gavin, though she stayed on the board of Hurston Dynamics in an advisory capacity. Death. While en route from the Hurston Central Building to Tessa Spaceport, where she was planning to travel via a private service to her family's vacation home on Castle, Goss 2, her shuttle suffered a mid-flight collision with another shuttle. She and six other people died in the crash. Sounds awful. But there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Magda Hurston, the architect of the planet Hurston, the founder, Hurston Dynamics, raised, rose to the ranks. Um, a very prominent female in uh, Star Citizen. So one of the things 
one of the things I really like about Star Citizen is like this inclusivity of of powerful, you know, other beings, whether it's a human, male and female, or aliens. Like they really do a good job just kind of spreading the impact or influence. Uh, I th- just think that's amazing. I think that's a good good approach to telling a good story. Straight into the short articles, we're going to talk about the Kellogg and the Osiris systems. There's some really neat, um, some really neat articles here that I, I, I think you're going to get some, some, some gold nuggets. So first we'll talk the Kellogg system, then we'll go into the Osiris system. Uh, the Kellogg system is super interesting. It's like a prison system. I really like it. So let's get into it quickly. The Kellogg system is a protected planetary system that consists of a G-type main sequence star, five terrestrial planets, and one gas dwarf. Discovered in 2811 by nav jumper Patek Cohen, initial surveys revealed that Kellogg 2 was home to a sapient species, and the system was placed under the protection of the Fair Chance Act. Pause. Uh, If you've been listening to any of my episodes, you know that... The Fair Chance Act, the destruction of or the genocide of species is kind of where we're at now. It's it's this uh, uprising of the Messer um, leadership. It's the takeover of the Messer leadership because of this inhumane um, behavior of terraforming planets. So Fair Chance Act, super important. Back to the article. After two jump points to Van Duel territory were discovered in 2815, the UEE Senate approved a plan submitted by Senator Daniela Argan of Locke, Idris 4, to establish a prison and an antimatter processing facility on Kellogg 6. Frequent visits from bounty hunters and haulers to the planet have made Kellogg the most high-traffic system under the FCA. So here's where we start getting into some really fun, uh, <laughs> some fun descriptions about the moons and the systems that are in the Kellogg, in the Kellogg system. So Kellogg One, Kellogg One is a terrestrial planet in the Fair Chance Act protected Kellogg system, the closest world to its sun. Kellogg One's surface is mottled with oceans of lava. Its atmosphere is partially composed of vaporized rock, which forms cloud that rain quartz onto its molten surface. A day on Kellogg 1 lasts nearly three times as long as its year. So here's kind of my question on some of these planets that have this kind of lore or this kind of background. What does it mean to gamers Kellogg one is a is a lava planet. I I can't imagine we would ever go there. Well, why would you go to a lava planet um, unless your ships can withstand lava? <laughs> I I can't imagine flying there and there be a space station or there be some mineral that you can um, that you can mine. Like it just I, I'm curious if it's just an aesthetic, or it's a cosmetic addition to a system, if there's gonna be a reason to it. Uh, I have all the questions on some of these planets. But hey, lava planet, Kellogg one. Awesome. Let's go to uh XIS Zis Shis Shis. I don't know how I want to pronounce this. 
But anyways, Kellogg 2 is the second planet from the sun of the Fairchance Act protected Kellogg system, a biologically diverse, lushly vegetated world in its home to the developing Orm civilization and is protected by the UEE Army patrols who enforce the FCA. Deep multi-canopied rainforests and warm seas cover much of the planet's surface. That sounds awesome. I would love to explore that. The Orm largely reside in the temperate forests of the planet's polar regions. In the early 30th century, so, uh, several freshwater slugs were smuggled off she's this she's uh, I need to figure that out. XIS <laughs> and were sold to collectors under the same Flopets or under the name Flopets, which led to a fad that ultimately turned the animals into an invasive species on multiple worlds throughout the UEE. Yeah, I need to figure out what the what the sh XIS like how to pronounce that. It's the Kellogg system. It's Kellogg two. Uh, I don't want to keep butchering that. But the Orm is actually the first time that I'm reading about the civilization, which. This is why I love the Galactopedia. Actually, down here, there's an article real quick. The Orm are developing civilization indigenous to the northern polar regions of Kellogg 2, capable of creating tools, hunting, and building shelter. That's just, that's just interesting. I've never heard of the Orm before until this, until this article. Kellogg 3, let's go. Hey, it's Nick. How you doing, man? Welcome to the stream and podcast. We're just going through the Galactopedia updates Straight into Kellogg 3, let's go. It's the third planet from the sun of the Fairchance Act protected Kellogg system with a high pressure atmosphere of carbon dioxide and a runway greenhouse effect. Temperatures on Kellogg 3 are hotter than those on the neighboring planet Kellogg 2. In 2911, a spacecraft containing three escapees from the prison quarter deck, which we'll get into here in a second, located on Kellogg 6, briefly hid in the planet's dense yellow clouds during a pursuit from law enforcement. The ship sustained corrosion damage to its hull over time, which eventually forced it to emerge and led to its capture. I, here's what's frustrating. I, I, I'm going to have a little bit of a, I want to have a little bit of a fair, like, I don't know, open moment. I, they say there's going to be hundreds of systems, and right now we just have the one. That's not a complaint. That's fact, right? We have Stanton. There's four planet systems within the system planet, or within the Stanton system, um, but we're going to have many, many, many more. Reading about these planets is frustrating me because it's so awesome. Like, I can't wait to go to a planet that's lush in a rainforest. What does that look like? What does it look like to fly an 890 jump into a rainforest? Like, <laughs> uh, that excites me. Like, it excites me to be able to live and breathe in that environment, uh, knowing that there's going to be hundreds of these deliberately generated systems, not procedurally generated, not randomized, but deliberately planted um, systems and details. Like, I cannot wait. Cannot wait. All right, here we go. We're going to go quickly. Kellogg 4. Let's roll. Kellogg 4 is a super Earth and is the fourth planet from its sun. Early surveys of the planet indicated that it possesses copious mineral resources, but its location near Kellogg 2 has led the United Empire of Earth government to deny petitions to begin mining operations there. 2950, a proposal to start a pilot mining program on Kellogg 4 that would utilize inmates of the nearby prison quarterdeck as a potential labor force was presented to the UEE Senate. 
Despite garnering strong support among members of the uni Universalist Party, uh, it did not gain enough votes for final approval. Okay, so we know the prison system right now in Stanton is Klesher. Uh, Klesher, Keschler, Klesher. I'm close. I'm close, guys. <laughs> um, that planet system has loops, or that prison system has loops. Um, and right now, I mean, it, it's it's sufficient. I think it's it's unique. It's groundbreaking. I don't know if really any other game uh, that that involves like real time prison sentences that you could lower the time uh, by doing things by mining or by helping restore these kiosks. Right. So the idea of having more of these, a prison system, this one's called the quarter deck, uh, but having more prison systems around the universe is exciting. I feel like there's going to be a different experience no matter the system. So you jump to a system, you commit a crime, that prison experience is going to be a lot different than a prison sentence anywhere else. Back to chat. Hey, it's Nick. Uh, oh, streaming podcast. Let's go. I wasn't sure it was live. It is live, buddy. It is live, and I'm recording that uh, translates straight into a podcast for people to listen to in their homes, gym, on the road, wherever they listen. So, heck yes. Kellogg 5, then straight into quarter deck. Kellogg 5, uh, a gas dwarf, so kind of like Crusader. A gas dwarf, it has a rocky core and a thick, expensive hydrogen-helium atmosphere, but does not have enough mass to classify as a gas giant. Uh, resources from the planet are sometimes harvested and used to supply the prison on neighboring planet Kellogg 6, but only under close supervision from the UEE government. Let's go. Quickly. Quarter deck. Quarterdeck, Kellogg 6, is the sixth planet named for the maximum security prison located on its surface. It is covered with ice and is inhospitable to human life outside of environmentally controlled facilities. An antimatter processing plant located near the penitentiary is staffed by inmates of Quarterdeck, some of whom volunteer for the job in exchange for reduced sentences despite its dangerous and sometimes deadly conditions. In 2943, Senator Gara Veras of Lowe, or Corral 3, proposed that in the prison and the plant be decommissioned due to its harsh conditions and track record of human rights violations. The proposal was defeated by a narrow margin, leading many political commentators to speculate that it will be resurrected in the future. Cool. I, I, I love the twist. I love the twist there. Um... Justice Star Satellite. Actually, the first time I'm seeing this article. I think I skipped over this in my pre-notes. <laughs> All right. The, the Justice Star Satellite uh, is a space station in uh, Kellogg's system located at one of the Lagrange points of Kellogg 6's orbit. It serves as a central processing center for new arrivals to the maximum security prison quarter deck. It also hosts a UEE court to allow for swift trials and sentencing when bounty hunters directly deliver wanted criminals. Obi Station Pegasus. Uh, situated at a Lagrange point in the orbit of Kellogg 6, it was created to monitor the planet Kellogg 2 and protect the developing Orm civilization that resides there from outside influence. Its staff is a mix of military personnel and scientists engaged in long-term observation of the Orm. Alright, we're into people now. Alright, so I'm saying Patek, uh, Patek, Patek Cohen, 2786-2867 uh, was a nav jumper most notable for his discovery of the Kellogg system in 2811. 
born on Campos, LS4, Cohen began his career as a pilot for a private ferry service from Campos to neighboring planets Green, LS3, and Noble, LS5. He became interested in nav jumping after reading a biography on Antoine Lebeck and took on a private training courses in navigation and detection in his spare time. It was his goal to eventually live in a system he discovered himself. After nearly a decade of searching, Cohen found a jump point to Kellogg, but was disappointed when the existence of the Orm civilization on Kellogg 2 came to light and the system was placed under the Fair Chance Act, meaning that he could not reside there. He retired from nav jumping in 2839 when his autobiography, A Refuted Dream, became an unexpected bestseller. Let's go. Halfway through. Daniela Argan. Daniela Argan, 2762 to 2838, was a UEE senator of Locke, Idris IV. Uh, first elected under a platform of revitalization, the uh, of revitalizing the economy. This uh, she speak. She spearheaded a series of tax breaks for first-time business owners and instituted a hiring program that decreased Locke's overall unemployment rate. In 2815, she presented a proposal to the UEE Senate outlining a detailed plan to construct a maximum security prison in an antimatter processing plant on Kellogg 6. She argued that the heavy guard presence would serve as an early warning system against Vandal incursions through the then newly discovered jump points to Virgil and Vector without costing additional military resources, and the plant would generate revenue and provide the UEE with a steady stream of antimatter. Her plan was approved. During her third term, Argan was arrested by the advocacy on charges of accepting bribes and was forced to resign. After a trial, she was fined for her actions and went on to become a private business consultant. In 2838, she was found dead in a hotel room on Asura. Farron III, having suffered multiple stab wounds, her murder remains unsolved. Okay, then. Uh, yeah. Daniela Argan, dead. <laughs> Let's go. Now we're into the aura system, and for the sake of time, I want to be respectful to trying to stay as close to one hour as possible. I'm just going to read the little summaries to the right here, but the uh, Osiris system was the first Fair Chance Act protected system. Eidos, the first Fair Chance Act protected planet. Orbital Station Kobold, the first Fair Chance Act station. The Osiris Belt Alpha, the Fair Chance Act persecuted asteroid belt. Osiris II, the first non technically but adjacently Fair Chance Act protected planet. Good lord. Uh, Noah Traeger discovered the Osiris system. Antoine Lebec discovered the Null system. Juliet Malpin, inadvertent founder of Apocalypse Arms, and Dalton Colabello, actual founder of Apocalypse Arms. So like I said, I wanted to kind of get through that last piece a little bit on the quicker side, given we have 20 minutes uh, to wrap this up. Um, alrighty. So let's get into Wednesday's roadmap roundup and back to sharing screen. Here we go. So the roadmap roundup had a lot to do, if not the majority, if not all, um, had to do with the arena commander. So um, they they obviously call out that the Mirai Fury, the, Mirai Fury uh, the Mirai Fury MX, those moved to Dunn 
in the 319 column. So no news there. We've been all been flying it during the last Invictus launch week. Uh, but here are 10 updates to Arena Commander um, for Alpha 3.2. So again, we don't really know when this comes out. It's marked or it's scheduled for Q3. Uh, I'll believe it when I see an actual date. Um, but I'm just going to read the, the statements uh, quickly, and then we'll get into the actual Inside Star Citizen Arena Reborn Part 1. So here we go. Arena Commander, a front-end update, new racetracks, new Horizon Speedway rework, new dogfighting map called Jericho Station, new elimination map called Echol. Equal Echol. New map security post Korea, which by the way is really awesome in the video. They actually show um, an entire game or session where you're fighting security post Korea, like the turrets and, and all these hard points on the security system. Like your job is to go and take them out. Like that's a really cool concept. So what they're doing basically here, since I'm already in a side, what they're doing is they're taking like experiences in the persistent universe and they're putting those exact experiences into arena commander so you're able to witness and play through um, those awesome moments in 15 minutes as opposed to going through the entire pu to experience it so i think that's a really smart idea for those of you who are listening for the first time watching for the first time who don't really know much about star citizen um, arena commander is like a game within a game within a game so you've got squadron 42 is the actual single player game and then you've got star citizen which is this persistent online game so i hate doing this but think of grand theft auto you've got grand theft auto 5 but you've got gta online you got Red Dead Redemption 2, but you've got Red Dead Redemption Online. It's the same concept. You got Squadron 42, you've got Star Citizen. Well, you also have a game mode called Arena Commander, which puts you into a ship. So either you're racing or you're dog fighting. It's a really awesome, it's a really awesome experience. I've only done it twice, so I, I can't really I can't really brag too much, but I've done it twice, mainly to get the pirate caterpillar and the pirate gladius. So get into that here in a second. Back to the article. <clears throat> New dogfighting map, winner's circle, and then experimental game modes. So one of the things that came out of Inside Star Citizen, um, the Arena Reborn part one, was this uh, encouragement to go ahead and go get your pirate swarm badge now because there's going to be a rework of the pirate swarm badge so go get it now if you get it now you're able to purchase when it's the season you're able to purchase the pirate caterpillar and then the pirate gladius so it's it's really cool you should do it anyways but go get the pirate swarm badge you got to go through all 10 i think 10 stages um and then you'll get your badge when this launches it's going to replace the credentials on what it will take to get that pirate swarm badge so i'll go back again when it releases and i'll get that badge as well just a public service announcement do both go do it now before 3.2 drops and then when 3.2 drops go get your new badge done okay let's get into the release view so again the um 
the roadmap roundup is a summary it's a narrative to kind of help explain the why behind their choices but then the actual view is this um release view so on youtube you're able to see my screen on podcast i will try to explain it as best as possible so 319 and this this is the column that they're mentioning uh in the recap so here's 319 these are all released so the one entry location for the city uh Lorville cityscape that got updated the four gameplays got updated and the three ships and vehicles got updated that's the links to the two furies here is 320 so Real quick, ships and vehicles, we're still looking at the whole sea. So we're still expecting the MISC whole sea to come out in Q3. That'll be exciting. It'll be a whole new uh, game loop, hopefully, um, to play. So that'll be awesome. But then here's your 10 entries, your 10 Arena Commander entries, uh, along with Ship Trespass and the new Mission Retrieve Consignment, right? which we talked about a couple episodes ago. And the last thing I wanted to do was just kind of show the ending of this week's Arena Reborn. Um, not that the ending was like super funny or worth, you know, showing you again, but he always does. This is Jared Huckabee. He always does a really good, you know, so what did we learn this week? And he does a really good recap. So if you do nothing else and you just want to know what you missed, um, here is the end of Arena Reborn part one. Here we go. Going on mute. So, what did we learn this week? Well, we learned that true atmospheric flight is coming to Arena Commander for both racing and fighting modes. That locations from the Persistent Universe are being brought into the simulation to let you test your metal easier than ever before. That this becomes more and more important and valuable as the PU continues to move closer to the death of a spaceman in the future. And that all of this would already be the biggest update Arena Commander has ever seen, but there's even more stuff coming next week as we look at Star Marine editions, including Tonk Royale and the implementation of experimental modes that aim to return Arena Commander to the feature and technology testbed it was once intended to be. And then uh, back in the PU, I hear there's a jump town going on at the moment. Boy, I sure hope it's safe. For Inside Star Citizen, I'm Jared Huckabee. Thanks for exploring the process of game development with us, and we'll see you all here next week. Should we have moved the plant? That's done. It's time to pwn some noobs. be friends with jared he seems like such a good dude in fact i'll i'll, I'll take a second I'll, I'll fanboy out real quick everybody that i've met from cig uh now in person i've met galactica i've met jake acapella um but i've had these interactions with these other individuals as well just good people just really really good people love to hang out with him sometimes so jared huckabee if you were ever in austin texas the next time you're in austin texas let us know okay um last before we get into the lore deep dive let's get into today's announcement so there was a 3.19.1 
uh, patch announcement that hit a, a couple hours ago. So I do want to share my screen. I do want to go into what exactly was dropped and what this means for everybody. Um, but I think as I read through this in my pre-notes, it's, it's probably good to just read verbatim and then we can talk about the so what. So here we go. Again, a couple hours ago, Star Citizen Alpha 3.19.1, long-term persistence update, also known as LTP. So you're gonna see LTP throughout this article. It's long-term persistence. So here we go. Quote, hi everyone. With the upcoming release of 3.19.1 to the live environment, we'd like to take a moment to give you an early heads up on the state of long-term persistence, LTP. First, we want to let you know that we don't plan to wipe for patch 319.1, meaning that we'll hold on to the LTP data from 3.19 going into 3.19.1. With that said, due to the issues with LTP in this last patch, certain items have not been fully saving correctly uh, to, to the database, which can result in some items not migrating to the new release. You may recall in a similar occurrence when we transitioned from 3.18 to 3.19. The good news though, is that we already have fixes for this checked into 3.19.1. In the meantime though, you may have to take a few steps to ensure your items are properly recorded and carried over from the patches. Here we go, this is important. Below are the three notes of interest that could assist with items being saved. Following these steps will give items the highest likelihood of them saving to LTP for the 3.19.1 release. Number one, ships and FPS items are not saved LTP in all instances of 3.19 if they were never pulled out and put back inside an inventory. Transferring FPS items from one inventory to another will create an LTP record for that item as long as you're the owner of the destination inventory, i.e. your own ship or someone else's, not someone else's. This may apply to all items earned and looted in the PU. A test case for this would be to transfer looted items from corpses, loot boxes, into either a local landing zone storage or the storage of a ship you own. Number two, an insurance claim will result in the loss of in-game earned ships unless you retrieve or store it back. As with the first note, if you've never retrieved and stored a ship you've earned in-game, it won't save to the LTP. Each time you use the ship or claim it through insurance, it's a good practice to retrieve and store it to ensure it's saving. Last, number three. As with all normal LTP transitions, we are not persisting items such as consumables, ammo, food, etc., rented ships, and refinery jobs. We hope that this information will help you maintain your inventories as we transition to 319.1 soon. And as a reminder, this particular issue has already been resolved in 319.1, so hopefully we can avoid these types of necessary steps in the future. Thanks, and we'll see you in game. All right. End quote. I know there's some of you out there listening to this and you're like, seriously, <laughs> games 10 years in alpha and they can't figure out how to transition into a patch. Look, just smile and nod and do it. There's three steps. Just do it. If you have that one item, you got that one mask that you've been dying to get and you finally got your hands on it, just do these steps. Move it from one inventory to another as long as you own it just to ensure 
that there is a save instance that'll transfer over into 3.19.1. Just do it. It's a small step. Small step to get into the new patch. They already said they fixed it for further <laughs> patches, hopefully. Um, so let's just do this. Let's get through this and let's get into the next patch uh, with all of our items. I'm glad they're not releasing or they're not doing a full reset. I kind of feel like it's needed after Invictus launch week. I don't have any data to back that up or as to why, but I don't know. It just feels like a good, good hard reset uh, would be necessary. But again, I don't. I have no data to support that. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. So we're gonna transition into the lore deep dive for this week. And um, I wanna make sure we transition appropriately. Now, this is the last time capsule drop that we're gonna have uh, in Beyond the Verse Star Citizen podcast. So I'm gonna do a little bit of a recap and I'm going to go through our three articles. Um, so bear with me as we do a little bit of a recap starting now. We are starting the last Lord Deep Dive as far as time capsules go. In the first 10 episodes, we have taken listeners and viewers from 2023 in real life, fast forwarding 930 years to the current state of Squadron 42 and Star Citizen. If you're looking at my screen on YouTube, welcome to the beautiful mind that is our Lord Deep Dives broken into episodes and marked by how many years in the future each one is. Um, but we have gone through so much. And the way that I have laid out up to this point is every episode was a century. So we have gone all the way to the 30th century into the 2900s. And that is where we end up today. Now, we have had one break where we chose to go into Invictus launch week, right? So episode eight was Invictus launch week. And then we had episode 10, which was dedicated to Memorial Day, and we covered the Javelin Warhammer. So besides those two episodes, episode eight and episode 10, all major events have been covered in this podcast and I hope that you have found this journey to be as fun and informative as it has been for me. Some of the things I wanna plan doing uh, into YouTube is actually taking these videos of reading the lore snippets and making them actual videos. So just to, just to, to log um, each one of these major milestones where it's easy to digest and easy to go to. But today we do go into, like I said, the 30th century. It'll take us all the way up to Squadron 42. But next episode, we will get into the backstory of Squadron 42. We're going to go into where they came from, the history of it. And we're going to end that episode with where we're going to pick up in the game when it finally releases. So without further ado... I'm gonna get into this week's Lord Deep Dive starting in 2920. 
So this is 898 years into the future. This is called The Money Pit. Sharing my screen for those of you on YouTube. The Terra Gazette News Org Archive, originally published May 28th, 2920, in the editorial section. Quote, Financial Jump Point by Callie Hanks. There is a space anomaly out there. It's a jump point of sorts that no pilot or ship will be able to navigate because it will only let money go into it and that money is never to be seen again. I'm talking, of course, about the synth world nonsense. It's almost been 50 years since they announced Project Archangel, and frankly, what have we got? To me, it seems like we're no closer to synthesizing a world than we were back than we were back then when it was all wide-eyed promises and hope. The simple reality is that this attempt to build a synth world is coming at a cost to all the other worlds, and we have a government who's so desperate to make this work that they're willing to let the military and infrastructure suffer to keep paying for it. I get it, I do. They're building this because of all the races wiped out during the terraforming era. It's a great idea, sure, but enough is enough. I think 50 years of failure should be a good indicator that we need to move on. Nope. Every year we get more assurances that the scientists are making new advances that should finally figure out how to stabilize the growth process, but they never deliver because what do we have after all this time? Shifting unstable planetary mass. We need to get someone in power who will have the courage to say stop. Either someone needs to crochet the politics and pull the plug on this money parasite, or the rest of the systems are going to fall down with it. This may not be popular to say, but I guarantee that people are thinking it. This was Earth's big idea to make up for the terrible things that they did over the Messer era. We in Terra have a clear conscience because our forefathers managed to distance themselves from the awfulness of that age. If Earth wants this ridiculous project to clear their conscience, fine, but I don't see why we have to go down with the ship. Maybe it's time for us to be on our own. In transmission. So in the last episode, well, before Memorial Day, we talked about Project Archangel and Synth World. It's a great idea. It came from a good place. It it it, it meant well. <laughs> um, but creating a planet from scratch, of course, is going to be an undertaking. Time, resources, commitment, generations. I think they said something like several generations. Uh, it would take several generations for them to build the first Synth World, right? So yeah, the, the patience is wearing thin, but I think the importance to me of this article is that last sentence, quote, maybe it's time for us to be on our own. So up to this point, we've had this UEE umbrella. It's ran and governed, or it started with like UPE, now UEE. It ran and governed 
everything across the entire universe from a human perspective. And from the time capsule perspective, this is the first time that we're getting this descent. That we're getting this this idea of breaking apart of of the UEE. So I think that is super impactful. Bring us into the next article in the year 2928 called Campaign Promises. Before we get into this, you heard a little bit about it, like it's time for a new leader, it's time for a change. We're going through the first part of the 2900s of the 30th century is this transition period. New leadership, new goals, new direction. So this is the first time that there is a campaign uh, or a leadership push for somebody new. So 2928, entitled Campaign Promises. To the UEE Subcommittee of Spectrum Approval, the Kilos-Costigan election spot. Ad begins. A budget spiraling out of control. The Synthworld Project's future in question. Vanduul attacks on the rise in the Western systems. Problems for us all, sure, but it's tough to keep in perspective when you're trying to support a family. In these times of economic instability, you want an imperador that will right the ship and set it back on course. That candidate is Kilos Costigan. An economic strategist for over two decades, Kilos helped dozens of worlds reach the technological equality that most of us take for granted. Policies enacted in his second term as High Secretary yielded the highest single-cycle growth in 37 years. He has the experience and the knowledge to help get humanity out of the red and back in the black. Entitled text. Please search Kilos Costigan to learn more about policy. This message was created under the approval of Kilos Costigan Campaign, UEE Organizational Code, and then a bunch of characters. <laughs> I'm not going to read them all. In spot. Kilos Costigan. I feel like we're going to see his name in the next couple of years. Not to ruin any like future lore deep dive. But you might want to start diving into Kilos Costigan. If you're doing your own deep dives at this moment. And that brings us into the final time capsule. 2934, A Dreamer Dreams. Quote, Burning Sky, A Squadron 42 Adventure. This break, I read Burning Sky. It was really good. It was all about Squadron 42, who are awesome. It takes place in 2910, when a bunch of Vandal warships attack their carrier. The main character was Lieutenant Terence Nolan. He was from a small town in Elysium System, sort of like the one my cousin lives in. He joined the fleet instead of going to school because he wanted to see the stars. There was a good scene where he was out in the fields looking up at the sky and wondering what was out there. He wanted to see what nobody's ever seen. That was a cool idea. 
Like, are there whole groups of aliens that we haven't met? I never thought of that. See, when I'm a pilot, I just want to see a nebula. A big one. I think that would be max. <laughs> After flight school, Lieutenant Terrence Nolan went to the eastern sectors. He was part of a patrol wing along the Xi'an border. He was pretty bored because nothing really happened. Then one shift, he saw a small transport ship getting chased by pirates. Even though there were like four pirates and Lieutenant Nolan was alone, he attacked. It was crazy and his ship was getting all shot up, but he got like three other pirates before the other pirates showed up. Before the other pilots showed up. And he saved the transport. After that, he got congratulated then lectured by his commander. He was mad because it was stupid for him to take on four pirates on his own. That was how he got drafted into Squadron 42. They like that kind of stupid. Lieutenant Nolan gets transferred back to the Western Systems. Now he's part of the squadron. While the rest of the fleet runs from the Vanduul, they go looking for a fight. They're like the only thing standing between our system and a bunch of raiders. Their commander is this smart, tough lady named Aria Riley. She's been like fighting her whole life ever since her town was burned down by raiders. Their carrier was heading past the settlement systems into unclaimed space. They were hunting. After like two weeks on the carrier, it seemed like no one liked Lieutenant Nolan. They all thought he was a wimp. But then the next morning, their ship got ambushed by a bunch of Vandal scythes, like a hundred of them. Lieutenant Nolan and the other pirates jumped in their ships and blasted off to fight them. The battle lasted six hours. The fighters twisted through space trying to blow each other up while the carrier battled a Vandal destroyer that was lying in wait. It looked like they were going to lose, but then Lieutenant Nolan took command of the pilots that were still alive and fought back even harder. They didn't give up no matter what. Reading this book was really fun. It was a little boring before the battles, but I'm glad I stuck with it. My dad says that he remembered when this happened back when he was a kid. He loves the 42nd Squadron too. He says he's got a bunch of other to transmit me. I hope that I am just like Lieutenant Nolan when I become a pilot. I think everybody should read this. That's my report. In transmission. I think that's the first article. Now, mind you, that's a fifth grader. So a little bit of context. That was a fifth grader writing a book report uh, for a class. So that's that's why you had all the likes and all the uh, all the soft language there. But you get this hint that Squadron Forty Two is this um, pinnacle of military might. It a storied past uh, going after the Van Duel which at this point we know are the main objective. They're the main enemy. So Squadron 42 is the spearhead, the tip of the spear. As we get into the actual gaming story of Squadron 42, it, it takes place about nine years after this. So between this book report and about a decade, things happen. And it sets the stage for when you as a player get into the game and start to influence the universe. 
There's a lot to unpack in the next decade. There's a lot to unpack with Squadron 42. But now more than ever, it is super exciting. You can read into whether or not taking down Squadron 42 from the pledge store means anything. I know Zylo came in and said, ah, we're increasing the price, whatever. We can surmise all we want, right? We can think that there's more. But I believe Squadron 42 is coming close to being wrapped up. So now more than ever, thank you for joining Beyond the Verse star citizen podcast thank you for joining our lord deep dives from a time capsule perspective from a huge monumental uh our monument moments perspective thank you for that i look forward to the next several episodes where we actually get into deep diving subject matter actual wars and battles and what it means and who these people are going beyond just the milestones I'm definitely looking forward to that. Episode 12 is going to be amazing. We'll recover Squadron 42. And then episode 13, we're going to be driving into the events currently in Star Citizen. So with that, I hope this finds everybody well. Take care. And until next Thursday, safe travels as you traverse Beyond the Verse. You've been listening to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. Join our in-game organization, Soul Provision, by applying at www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. You can get involved in the conversation with your questions, comments, or emotional outbursts by emailing us at starcitizenbtv at gmail.com. Watch us live on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central at youtube.com forward slash at starcitizenbtv and follow the conversation over at Twitter and Instagram both at forward slash star citizen btv once again thank you for joining us we hope this finds you well until next time safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse Mm -hmm.